Our reading this evening is from Exodus 15, verses 22 to 27. I've got them on the screen, so I haven't got them. Um, we're following on from the verses that we've had so far. So those of you who've been coming in the mornings and the evening will have followed through. And we're at the point where they've come out of, um, the, they've crossed the Red Sea, and now they're, they're slightly getting lost and they're hoping for water. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him the piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. He said, If you listen carefully to the voice of your Lord, your God, and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs and seventy palm trees, and they camped there near the water. There are two different kinds of stress tests for people. There's the one where a doctor like Raj puts you on a treadmill or an exercise bike and works you hard and measures your heart rate and see how you cope under pressure. The other test assesses how stressed you get by the pressures of daily living. Indicators of stress are things like how often do you get irritable with family and friends? Do you have trouble sleeping? Do you feel that your life is out of control? Do you feel sick? Do you find it really difficult to pay any attention to anything that's happening around you? Are you losing your appetite? Is it hard to make what should be reasonably straightforward decisions? Is it really difficult to concentrate? Are you easily distracted? I found a little survey online and was relieved and surprised to find that apparently I have low levels of stress. It's apparently okay if you experience any of these things some of the time. But if you start to experience them frequently, then that is an indication of stress. And many of us behave in different ways when we're under pressure. Pressure can either bring out the best in us, or it can expose serious weaknesses and flaws in our character. As someone once said, you put a person under pressure and they will either crumble into dust or they will turn into a diamond. Three days after leaving the Red Sea behind them, the Israelites are under pressure, and they did not perform well. You can't really blame them. Three days without water brings the human body to the point of serious dehydration. And the psychological pressure of reaching an oasis, only to find that the water was undrinkable, must have been colossal. The Lord was testing his people to the limit and they were crumbling to dust. A bit like watching England play cricket, really. And their response was to grumble at Moses. Not for the first time, certainly not for the last. What are we to drink? They demanded. You know, I read the story and I actually empathise with them in their plight. Yes, they'd seen God perform an amazing miracle in terms of bringing them safely across the Red Sea, 
But where were they going? How would they survive in the desert without water? It's easy to say that they should have realised that the Lord was journeying with them and leading them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. This was the God for whom nothing was impossible. But when you get to an oasis and the water is undrinkable, it looks and feels a whole lot like a mistake. And being human, questions come to mind. So did God not know the water was undrinkable? Had he got it wrong? Had Moses taken the wrong path somewhere? Yes, God had dealt with the Egyptian threat and brought them across the Red Sea, but did he have the power to provide for them in the desert? Everyday basic needs like food and drink? We trust God for eternal life, no problem, but when it comes to our daily basic needs, we struggle sometimes. If God had the power to provide for them, was he prepared to do so for their sake? Did he really have their best interests at heart? Did he really love them? Was he really faithful? Could they trust him or not? And despite all that they'd seen happen, it was clear that they were a long way off trusting him yet. And tragically, actually, this generation of Israelites were never able to bring themselves to trust God fully, despite all that they seen him do. And the desert would be their resting place. Because although they gradually came to believe that God would look after them in the wilderness, they didn't have the confidence to believe that he would take care of them at the next stage in terms of entering the promised land. The incident at Marah was a test. And the people of Israel failed it. He made it very clear to them what he was doing there. He said, I'm giving you a decree and a law. If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to all his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. This is a reassurance that God is not out to get them. It's not in God's heart to bring them harm or to, or to bring them to grief. His intentions towards them are positive because he is the Lord, their healer. They need to learn to trust him. If they do as he says, everything's going to be just fine. But before you can begin to do what God tells you to do, you need to learn to listen and pay attention to God's voice, to tune in to what God is saying. You listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes. If you pay attention to all his commands and keep all his decrees, obedience starts with listening. Listening carefully. And the Israelites were like disobedient children. Sometimes children hear what they're being told and it's a conscious decision on their part to ignore it or even to do the opposite. Perhaps more frequently it's just that children fail to hear, or to pay attention, or to process, or to take on board what is being said to them. And the hardest thing can be sometimes to get their attention, because if you haven't got their attention, anything you say is going to be a complete and utter waste of time. So if you like, this test at the waters of Mara is God's way of getting the people's attention. I am the Lord 
your healer. That's who I am. It means you can trust me. You need to do what I tell you to do. And that means you need to listen. You need to pay careful attention to everything that I'm saying. Capiche? And the only one paying attention to what God was saying as the community squabbled among themselves by the waters of Marah was Moses. They were all having a go at him. And his response was to cry out to the Lord. He was the one paying enough attention to to understand that throwing a piece of wood into the water would make the bitter water sweet and fit to drink. This must have been divine guidance. This wasn't a solution to the problem he would have dreamed up under his own steam. Moses was listening to God. The people were not listening to God. They were listening to their own fears and to their own complaints. Moses was tuning in to what God had to say. But once God had used Moses' bit of wood to sweeten the water and the people's thirst was satisfied and the first layer of Maslow's triangle was in place, the Lord said to them, you need to learn to listen to what I have to say. Because if you do, it's going to be all right. All will be well with you. And there's a lesson there for us all. We need to learn to listen to what God has to say. It's basic, it's fundamental, it's simple, and it's easily missed. Because like the Israelites, sometimes it's our fears and our concerns of what other people are saying who are uppermost in our minds. Trevor Miller put it this way. He said, kneel down and shut up. Be humble enough to acknowledge that the busyness and the hyperactivity of modern life is a hindrance to listening. Be still and know that I am God. There is nothing wrong with working hard, but if there is no freedom to pause, no punctuation, no opportunity to reflect on and write new paragraphs in our lives, then we will wear out. A major characteristic of our, of our age is high activity, rushing to get things done, and every second counts mentality. But activity without receptivity, doing without being, taking priority. If we don't come apart to spend time with God, we will come apart at the seams. We need to recapture Sacred idleness. Sacred idleness was a phrase coined by George MacDonald and blogging on a website, Wild and Free, an anthropologist identified only as Rachel says, if there is a concept I need to grasp in the midst of the frantic wind of demands and possibilities and turmoil that blows through our days and weeks, it is this, sacred idleness. It needs to be cultivated, rest doesn't just happen on its own. I think too often of rest as that thing I'll get to when everything else is done. But everything else is never done. And even when idleness asserts itself in protest to a mind or body in overdrive, it's rarely a sacred restorative time or place unless it is cultivated as such. 
Rest is not meant to be the place I go to to recover from work. It's the place where everything else is conceived. It may be a cliche, but it's still true. We are meant to work from rest, not rest from work. Rest is the place where the wisdom to know what to do and, of course, what not to do is given to us. It is the place where courage is forged. It is the place we can go to to get the fuel we need. It's the place where insight, creativity and innovation are born. In sacred idleness, my roots are watered and nourishment is given to my body, my mind, my spirit, my soul. Cultivating rest. Cultivating sacred idleness. Cultivating that ability to be still and know that the Lord is God. Space and time to listen to God. That really is counterintuitive to our culture. Time spent waiting on God, what does that achieve? I find it hard enough, I'm a, I'm a minister. So a wise and good friend of mine is apt to remind me, ministers are paid to think and pray. Did you know that? Yet when everybody else is run off their feet... How can I justify the time to go for a walk and spend time thinking and praying rather than doing something useful? Yet I need to, and so do you. Our lifestyle is really unhealthy from a spiritual point of view because either we're working flat out or vegetating in front of the television or frittering away time online. We're not cultivating rest that nourishes the soul and the spirit. Where is the time and the space to wait on God and hear his still, small voice whispering in our ear? If we're Christians, we all at one point or another, in one way or another, confess that that Jesus is Lord. And we all recognise and accept that we live our lives in obedience to him and that living our lives in conformity with God's will is good for us. But how can we do what God wants us to do? unless we take the time to listen to what he's saying. The Lord makes himself known to us as the God who is our healer. And meeting with God as our healer is not quite the same as a quick appointment with your GP so you can get a prescription for whatever is wrong. It's when we spend quality time in the presence of God that we encounter him as our healer. It's only in the place of stillness that we can hear and receive and embrace his life-giving word to us. There's no right way of spending time with God. What works for one person will not work for everybody else. But the Wesley mission have kindly produced a spiritual advent calendar with a Bible reference, a reflection starter and a prayer for each day. And it begins tomorrow. Copies are available on your seats feel free to take them and make use of them. If you're not one of those people spending £9,995.95 on a very old and rare Master of Malt Whiskey advent calendar, why not save the money and use this instead to spend some time with God during Advent? There's also an invitation to attend the Wesley Mission Christmas services, but they're in Sydney, Australia, so you might do better just to come here. 
But the run-up to Christmas is especially frenetic and stressful and pressured. And given the way which the pressures associated with Christmas can rob the festival of its meaning and rob us of our capacity to enjoy it, let me urge you, using this or not, to spend time this Advent waiting on God. Listening carefully to his voice. Paying attention to what he has to say. Because it's as we come into this place of stillness and we consciously allow his spirit to fill our heart and our mind and allow his word to turn over, perhaps just a single phrase, meditating on it, reflecting on it, seeing how it applies to us. It's then that God has the chance to minister to our souls. Worship worship Raj remind us of those verses from Psalm 23. Uh, He leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. It's in the place of stillness that we find God to be our shepherd, that we find God to be our healer. Find the place of stillness in these coming weeks. Find the God who comes to you as the Lord who is your Redeemer, your Saviour and your Healer.